Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Liz Dowd, who is the Director of Farming Operations. She was born in Vermont and grew up working alongside her parents, stacking wood, sifting compost, tending vegetables, and cut flowers. Upon moving to New York City to study photography, uh, they found they loved the culture but missed the dirt and yearned for soil and seeds um, where they, this is the Pfeiffer Center where they studied biodynamics. Yeah, and uh, the New York Open Center where they dove into urban permaculture. After completing their their adult urban farm training program, Liz was offered a co-manager position at the youth farm where they found themselves energized and inspired by teaching and learning from their cohort and the challenging discussions about food justice that regularly took place. Liz is passionate about working with and for their community creating an engaging space where their neighbors can find nourishment, relaxation, and a connection to food, farming, and nature. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I'm honored to be here. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about the background of the Brooklyn Grange, because it's been around for a while now, and you guys do some really cool things. Awesome. Yeah, we are located in New York City, Um, so we built our first rooftop farm in 2010, and we're a rooftop farming company. We uh, grow and sell vegetables. Uh, we also host events and workshops. We design, build, and maintain green spaces and uh, urban landscapes all over the city. The farm itself, we are comprised of three different rooftops, and it uh, totals a little over five and a half acres. Um, about 135,000 square foot of that is cultivated. Um, and we produce, uh, over a hundred thousand pounds of food on these rooftops every year. So, so we are, uh, we're busy up in the sky, um, mm. on the farms, we host, uh, three different farmers markets. We have about 250 CSA members, We sell produce through wholesale um, and to specialty grocers, and about 30% of all of our annual yields go to New Yorkers at no cost, and that's through our equitable food distribution uh, program, uh, where we work with community-based organizations and uh, food sponsors to get uh, culturally relevant and culturally sensitive food to folks in our community. Very cool. Now, talk to us about the beginnings of the Brooklyn Grange, because I, as I was mentioning before we got on, I shared an elevator with Ben Flanders, who's one of the, the founders. And uh, we were talking about, he's like, we're, we're putting, you know, farms on roofs. And I was like, well, okay. And uh, well, he made it happen. And, uh, you know, really kind of uh, pioneered the idea and uh, kind of, you know, moved it to more mainstream. Yeah, we started with about an acre up in Long Island City, Queens. And uh, on that farm is really where we set roots and and started to learn about the soil, about what tools we could use up on the rooftop, and also how to let folks know that we were up there. So if you Mm. can imagine 
Uh, there's no foot traffic. And so how do we let people know that we're here and how do we get food out to the community? So that was one of, I think, our, our biggest challenges from the get-go is to just get, get the word out and start connecting with, with people. Um, and from there, we really saw an opportunity to, to continue to scale up. We certainly learned a few things, um, both in terms of what to look for in rooftops uh, and with the you know, landlord partnerships and such. And uh, we scaled up to our Brooklyn Navy Yard location, which is about an acre and a half. Um, tweaked the soil a bit again, um, continually learning about how to um, you know, retain some of that moisture. You know, we, uh, we almost are uh, have the opposite problem where so much of that rainfall just kind of flows right through our, our soil. So how to capture that and the nutrient yeah. has been a learning curve. So let's, let's break down some of that. We just talked about there. So evaluating the rooftop, obviously it's got to have a freight elevator or a place to get on. Um, talk to us a little bit more about kind of like the characteristics you're looking for to like the perfect roof. Sure. So I think just to have as much growing space as possible. So looking for any obstructions, are there large AC units? Um, you know, what growing spaces will we have easy access to? Um, ensuring that it's a solid uh, roof for sure, making sure that we're dealing with rooftops that um, we're not going to have any um, any issues with and uh, that we can really build a strong green roof on top of. Um, also looking for uh, easy access within the community. So, you know, as I mentioned here in New York City, uh, making sure that, that is it close to transportation? Um, are, are folks able to um, find an, a path to the rooftop to get their, their produce? So location becomes really important there too. Um, and I think that as we're learning, you know, we built our, our, our newest uh, farm in 2018 in Sunset Park, and that's our, our largest project now over three acres, um, is just thinking about kind of the, the, the economics, you know, how can we scale this up to uh, a level where we are able to operate and maintain the space, grow as much food as possible, um, and, and, and kind of balance uh, how many folks are on our team and, and the movement of all the food. So it can get, huh. it can get complicated. Yeah. Now the soil has to be particular too. I remember you were talking about the water flowing through, and I think you use a lot of, let's say things like perlite or core or peat to make it really light, right? Cause you don't want a super heavy soil on top of the roof. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we have to be mindful of the weight capacity that is on the rooftop farms. Um, actually all of the buildings that we are on top of are over or just about a hundred years old. And that's cause they used to uh, build them as, as tanks really. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, certainly finding a, a light medium, um, you know, that is porous, um, but in our, our newest location in Sunset Park, we actually added some pond sill about 6% um, to try to create a more uh, in-ground um, soil so that it would be able to um, have a hold a higher holding capacity. And uh, we certainly saw some advantages there. We're, we're definitely learning as rooftop farmers. Um, you know, we, we find more of those in-ground issues like compaction um, and finding tools that we can work in this um, shallow till 
um, with mm-hmm. that action has, has also been a, a great learning. Because obviously you want the soil as thin as possible because you're trucking every bit of that in and it's expensive and it's heavy, but you also want it deep enough that the plants can have their roots correct and just well-formed out. Sure. You know, I, I think that that sometimes can be a bit of a misconception. You know, we, our soil depth um, is about 10 to 12 inches on, on our, our farms. Um, but I've also learned that plants really adapt. Um, you know, we can grow most crops up on the roof and they, uh, they really work with the elements up there. So we bulk up the soil in some areas, you know, for some crops like our, our, uh, our deeper roots, but um, I'd say that the soil depth is less of an issue, um, than most would think. Okay. All right. So you'd mentioned crops there. Do you guys do a full range of crops? Are there specific crops that you try to avoid? We do a full array. Yeah. We grow, um, all your typical market, uh, vegetables, uh, about over 50 different crops. Uh, we, we do really well with, uh, root vegetables and, and fruiting crops for our, our markets. But right now we're really in a, a place where we are trying to reassess our, our, our crops and, and do a bit of a grading system to really take into account how the crops uh, interact with the soil and inputs that um, they, they require, how we can avoid that, uh, what, what are the community needs um, and uh, what, what is, in, is, is growing the best. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we're trying to kind of be a bit more dynamic in how we uh, assess the value of our, our crops, which has been an exciting new venture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the sales side of the business. So you talked about you know, CSA, some farmers markets. Describe a little bit more about how the different channels work for the farm. Well, that really changed quite drastically. Um, post COVID, uh, in 2019, about 70% of our crops went to wholesale. So we were largely a wholesale farm with, with a small CSA and a couple markets. And when COVID hit, I know in New York, uh, and across the country and world, many restaurants shut down and, uh, really overnight, we needed to rethink our strategy. Um, so it has evolved, but at this point, we, we really have four main outlets, which I, I mentioned. We have our, our CSA program, our farmer's markets, uh, wholesale, and our equitable food distribution. And that has been a great sweet spot. I think learning how to find this balance of when we are harvesting and so that we're able to reduce food waste, um, what types of volume do these different outlets need, whether it's a very high volume for uh, a food pantry or smaller crops that we can move through our wholesale. Um, but we've, we've really found that having kind of more of a four pronged uh, approach to our outlets has been hugely effective, both in terms of our systems and to reduce food waste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now with the, the different farms in different locations, you're pretty spread out. Do you try to make that farm find local distribution right around where it's located, or do you kind of conglomerate the different crops together? It's a great question. And, uh, sometimes our Achilles heel, you know, one of the huge benefits of having three different rooftops is we have a team of farmers 
Yeah. Um, and uh, we can really rely on one another to um, fill certain outlets. Um, that can also be our Achilles heel and that, uh, you know, we end up uh, having a hard time turning down if account wants uh, 10 extra pounds of carrots and we aim to source it from one farm. Oh, it's very tempting to go grab that extra poundage from another rooftop. And, uh, and then we get a, we stray a little bit from, from that mission of just mm -hmm. ensuring that food stays hyper local to that location. So I think mostly we're really successful in keeping, for instance, our CSA program, uh, located on, on each rooftop farm. Uh, we source most of our markets from one farm location. Um, but, but in many cases we can really, um, lean on one another. And I guess the, the, certainly the advantage to that is that we become a very reliable farm to be able to show up with, with those volumes that we've, uh, committed to. Mm -hmm. So you've got plenty of capacity. Um, Built-in backup. Yeah. So now do you, now this is an interesting question. Do you find that, you know, the brand new soil, when you put it on the rooftop, it grows differently than when it's been up there for five or six years? We do. I think mostly what I've learned in our newest location is, um, so when they're, they're building this soil, really, um, it's coming in by the truckload. And so they're coming in and making these batches of soil and then distributing it onto the roof. And so you start to find these, uh, you know, ecosystems and also different finely, you know, minorly tweaked blends that over time really need to integrate. So I think that uh, one of the, the exciting advantages to having a rooftop farm is that you're starting with really essentially zero weed seed bank. Um, yeah. So it's a great precedent to start with. Um, it's important that you, you create a really disciplined uh, weed management plan uh, from there. But then over time, I think just really watching the soil just need to settle in and, and integrate um, is what I've observed. Now, do you guys do any cover cropping up on the top of the roofs or just adding lots of amendments and compost? We do cover cropping um, on the shoulder seasons. Uh, that really helps, especially with uh, erosion and building biomass. Um, we don't do cover cropping during uh, the growing season. We're really biointensive. Um, our, our crops are grown in very quick succession. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's a challenge in, in uh, urban spaces. In, in some ways you think about these crops, uh, you know, paying their rent up there. Um, we really we want to make sure that we're um, utilizing that space as efficiently as possible through our, our short growing season. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about the bed systems. You guys are on like, let's say a 30 inch bed system are you using broad forks. What's kind of the, the, the protocol? No uh, broad forks um, because they will puncture that, that roof. Okay. Kind of uh, wondered that. Yeah. <laughs> I miss a, a good broad fork, um, but, or, or do I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, uh, we are, uh, mostly cultivating one of our, our most popular tools that, that we really love is the Tilly, which is the, uh, walk yep. behind, um, lithium battery operated, uh, cultivator. And so that really helps us to both with, uh, weed maintenance, but also our bed prep. Um, so we, we, uh, we fly that around. Uh, the farm. And we mostly use a uh, four row cedar. Um, sometimes okay. we're using an earthway as well for um, 
for some of our, our beets and, uh, and carrots where it gives us a little bit more control. Yeah. So you're still going pretty old school on all that. Yep. All um, hand tools. Okay. All right. Now what, let's talk. So the distribution, um, let's say the markets and stuff, are you growing, let's say rainbow carrots, regular carrots, or there specific crops that you found that are kind of like your signature crops or. We have a few signature crops. I think that we're really known for, you know, creating some, some fun blends. So things like cucumber okay. will, will, uh, in, integrate some heirloom varieties, uh, with your, your classic, um, green slicers, um, we grow a lot of greens mix. So we have our, our signature greens mix where we have been tweaking a recipe of 14 different or so, um, uh, mustards and, uh, arugula. Um, we, we have a lot of, uh, tomatoes that we're known for our heirlooms hit the market table really early. And as I mentioned, our, our root veg, um, particularly in Sunset Park, where we're serving largely the, the Sunset Park community there, um, growing a lot of Asian greens, um, Asian roots, uh, winter uh, roots. Gotcha. Yeah. And so then during the winter time, talk a little bit about that. You talked about the cover crops. You also do some cropping up there or is it pretty much shut down? We grow in our 4,800 square foot greenhouse year round. And otherwise we spend the winter uh, doing all of our planning, sleeping and eating. Uh, we have tried over the years to extend our season a bit, um, but we really can't do any um, high, low tunnels, everything just blows away. So we've, we've learned to, to not, uh, invest too much time or energy into that and, um, and, yeah. uh, know when we can start and go. Yeah. Cause I actually worked with uh, four season tools. who I think did one of your original prop houses up there and I forget which farm it was, um, uh, maybe the, man, I forget which one it was, but I remember we had to engineer it for like 120 mile an hour winds or something like that. They get going up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about then the team. Cause you talked about the, the awesome farmers you guys have. How have you learned to build the team over the years? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's one of our strong suits for sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a team. Um, and so we have a support system where we can come together and strategize whether we're having a particular pest or pathogen issue or a staffing um, obstacle, um, sales strategy. Um, I think that what we've learned over time is in building out our crew to uh, be as, as clear on what our mission is and make sure that we're all on the same page about that. And once we're really clear about what it is that we're doing on these rooftops and what our goals are uh, for that season is to be as transparent as possible during the hiring phases. And uh, that has definitely been, been a, a kind of golden ticket. And I, I, it's a recommendation I have as well for, for folks um, during the hiring process is to really be sure to uh, illustrate and, and um, narrate what it is like on these rooftop farms or on your farm and uh, what is important. What is to be expected? Are you a farm that uh, really 
requires a certain pace. Um, be transparent about that. What does that actually look like? You know, letting people know, Hey, on, on our roof, uh, we, we harvest an average of 200 pounds of greens and some of it is hand cut. Um, you know, just really talking through that scenario, I think really gives your crew or your potential crew, the ability to see if that is a, a scenario that checks out with them. Is that what they expected? And, uh, and if, if they're joining the team, I think after that, the goal is to really, uh, invest, you know, it is our responsibility to just invest in that, uh, that training, that orientation of the space, um, and, and just really stick with our crew. So we, we have a pretty good system in place for, um, you know, onboarding our team and, uh, really making sure that they know what it is that we do, how we do it, what systems are in place to support and where to go, uh, if, if they have any questions or if they need any help. Now let's say, let's talk about what that looks like. Do you typically have an employee work specifically at one location? Do they get to swap around a little bit as they're being trained? Um, how does that work? We have a farm manager on each of our rooftops, as well as an assistant farm manager. Okay. And then we have a farm crew at each location. Um, we've, this has evolved over time. I think, um, there are, are pros and cons to having, uh, the crew move to different rooftops. Certainly one of the, the pros has been that they have the opportunity to learn from different farms, uh, from different, uh, farm managers, um, see what different systems and different, uh, other aspects of our business or events and, and, uh, design build. However, I, I keep going back to the fundamentals of when I started, uh, farming. And one thing that, that was so essential was, uh, my observation skills and just being <laughs> able to be in one place and really watch the farm, um, and, and be a part of all the, the various steps. So we've really kind of, I think COVID actually pushed us back into a model where, um, you know, we work in, in pods and, and, uh, you know, we have a crew on each farm and, and I think ultimately it's, it's the right choice for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now with that training program, do you guys have, let's say a, a written SOP manual, do you have videos? How does that work? We have a pretty detailed orientation process, um, which really runs the gamut of sharing out about the business in general, um, meeting as many people as possible. Um, and then we, we do have, uh, you know, a, a kind of broken down manual of our different uh, um, SOPs um, at each farm and, uh, you know, a, somewhat of a Bible to refer back to for particular tools and um, some resources on, on different weeds and such. So that is definitely a, a work in progress and, and uh, one of those things that always gets added to the winter checklist to keep building on. But um, having as many resources as possible um, in as many different ways of, to accommodate different ways of learning has, has also been really valuable. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the business side of the farm is how, who, who manages all the finances? Do you have a bookkeeper and uh, what is that? What's that side of the business look like? Yeah, we have a, a chief financial officer. Um, we have kind of a, a core leadership team um, that helps to manage um, 
all of the things, uh, you know, our, our projection um, for years to come uh, to help manage the finance, finances and to coach um, each of the directors um, that also share out with the, the managers. So I think one of the, the blessings um, that I experienced when I joined the Brooklyn Grange team is that that burden was in some ways taken off me. Um, I certainly am uh, responsible for kind of managing the budget and to follow our, our, um, our plan. Uh, but I have a lot of support to, to come up with that plan, which is a great way to free up um, my, my headspace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your program um, with, with feeding the, the equitable food distribution. Talk to about how that started. Sure. Yeah, that started actually before COVID. Um, we started with a food pantry in Sunset Park called The Table. And uh, this was a program that was started with a private family fund uh, in partnership with uh, NYU Langone. And it was designed as a a client choice model where we were crop planning for folks to have a a stipend um, and they could uh, shop for whatever produce uh, we sent that week. So what I found really exciting about that opportunity is that each family could really um, have agency over what crops would be uh, most useful for their family. So we were sending bulk wholesale uh, to the pantry. Uh, when COVID hit uh, in 2020, we had crop planned to serve about 100 families a week. Um, and in the height of the pandemic, that uh, ticked up to over 800 families. And uh, at that point, we were filling uh, grocery bags. Um, so we, it was a huge success in that uh, both the farm uh, and the pantry, we were able to really keep very close communication and workout systems so that we could very quickly respond to the need and get food out to folks that was, again, culturally relevant, um, particularly during a time where, you know, people didn't have a lot of control over anything. Um, Being able to have some uh, control or some comfort in the food that was hitting your table um, so that you could, you know, feed bellies and and, uh, feed your family was is certainly an important role um, that we took seriously as essential workers. Um, So we we really took that experience. um, We built on it. Um, we've worked with several different, um, uh, food sponsors, um, both corporate donors, um, businesses and, uh, family funds, private funds, and worked with community-based organizations for them to really direct what food, how it's distributed, um, when and how, um, and, that is a direction that we're really looking to move in, um, that we're basing this on a really tight feedback loop where they are sharing out how is the demographic changing, what community is really showing up for this food, and how can we tweak our crop plan to really respond to that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that distribution program, do you find there specific crops that are more popular than others? We do. I'd say choy. Uh, is our most popular crop um, across the board. Um, we work with uh, mostly Asian community in Sunset Park okay. yeah. um, and uh, radishes. 
um, have also been uh, really popular thinking about um, storage crops as well. Um, some of our community members don't have access to a fridge and so thinking about what is going to hold what is going to be um, most easy to prep and again is going to be uh, a, a sensitive crop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what about systems? Because I know systems and your efficiencies are very important for how you do things. Um, what's kind of like the feedback loop and, and how does that work on the farm? Sure. We have our produce sales manager um, and myself who are in contact with our, um, our community-based organizations to hear out uh, what crops, in some cases, it's what was taken. So that can be the feedback loop is uh, if it is a client choice model, seeing what did people gravitate towards and what was left behind. And that can be a great indication of, of what we should continue to send and not send. Um, sometimes it's also a balance of ensuring that we are uh, stretching these funds as, as long as possible and ensuring that we can get as mo the most amount of food to the community for the longest um, period of time, which I think is uh, a really important aspect of this work that is important to be mindful of, especially as a production farm, where sometimes your instinct may be to really lean on your um, peak season, but being mindful of, uh, you know, what, what is the need out there? Um, and, and what is the request? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what do you feel like is in the future for Brooklyn Grange? You know, as we build out more rooftop farms, I think it has been a reminder of the importance of really holding these systems and ensuring that there's support for these systems. So I think that there is certainly a future in building more rooftop farms while also really focusing in on the projects that we've uh, started here. Um, Brooklyn Grange is a company that really centers people. So I'm noticing a real pause in ensuring that as we have grown as a business, as we have expanded, that we are pausing to make sure that we have systems in place to support what roles are currently there, um, just balancing the economics and ensuring that um, here in New York City that we are able to offer um, fair and equitable wages um, as, we, as we continue to build. So I, it's, a, it's an incredible growth um, happening um, while also uh, great intention and pause, which I, I think is also reflective of just where we are at as, as, a, as a community. Yeah. So let's talk about that because I'm sure let's say like a living wage in New York city is, is what per hour? Well, we're bringing the minimum wage to uh, $15 an hour. That's what it, it currently is. Um, at Brooklyn Grange, uh, our uh, minimum is uh, $18 an hour. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Now let's talk about like just keeping track. Now your job description, talk a little bit more about kind of like what you do on a daily basis. What does that look like? I always think of myself as kind of a air traffic controller. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my role is to ensure that communication is happening um, and that it's everybody is getting all the information that they need. Um, so you know, I don't have a typical day. Um, and, uh, that, that, that can be exciting, um, that every day feels a bit different. Um, it can be a little crazy making, especially as a, as a, a mom. 
Um, but, uh, I really go where I'm needed. Um, and if that means that I'm, I'm jumping into support in a harvest, um, or I'm, uh, stepping back to, you know, plan out a more, uh, macro, um, vision for the department and, uh, how our food is moving. Um, I'm, I can be found quite everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And how do you manage that? I, I guess probably, you know, structured chaos. Do you have a specific, um, uh, organizing system you use or pen and paper? What does that look like? Yeah. I, I write everything down. I think that is, um, certainly, something that, that helps me. Um, I'm talking to a lot of people, um, talking with a lot of our team members, community members. And so I found it's really important to stay present, um, in those moments. And so I, I won't be, um, jotting down notes quite, quite at that moment. Um, but I have, I've found it's really useful to pause right after and really just take note of all the, um, important aspects of that discussion and to, to share out. So part of my system is, is taking notes um, and synthesizing them, really organizing them, seeing where different notes connect um, and, and sharing that to the team in a way that they can really hear it. Um, mm. So oftentimes that uh, in best case scenario means uh, having an in-person conversation. Um, it could be while we're harvesting radishes and uh, just, you know, sharing out updates. Um, sometimes it means, you know, bringing everybody together in a, in a group email, but um, just taking lots of notes. And uh, luckily I, I have a great, great memory as well. And uh, so just, it's been important to hold on to all the details. Okay. Now you said, I think you said you actually write it down. So that's pen and paper. Pen and paper. I, uh, I send myself a lot of emails. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, my inbox is, uh, sometimes filled with, uh, just my own notes, um, because I can, I can kind of keep all the information in one location. Um, we use a lot of, uh, Excel, um, uh, different Google docs. So, mm -hmm. so I, I, uh, I have different ways of sharing out information, um, depending on what, what the topic is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, thriving farmers, where are you on your thriving farmer journey? So if you go to our website, growingfarmers.com, you can click on the assessment button and that will take you to a form, ask you a few different questions, and that will help you figure out where you are on the five stage thriving farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. If you could go back to, you know, when you started you, the working there and uh, like, you know, with what you know now, is there anything big that you would change or reset? You know, um, I think as a young farmer, um, and when I first started, I think, you know, your job really is to take it all in your mm -hmm. job is to, you know, just really fine tune your observation skills. Um, I think over time, I've really learned to the importance of being really intentional about what you're growing and why, um, and, uh, and being critical of that as well. Um, so I think that, uh, if I were to, to share to my, my younger farmer self, um, it might be to really, um, you know, take time with that crop plan, really understand 
who is receiving this food and why, um, and does it make sense and ask those questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Let's talk about favorite tools. I know you mentioned the Tilly. Is there, what are the other tools or like uh, must-haves for your style of farming? Our Greens Harvester um, mm -hmm. for sure has uh, saved us uh, just uh, in numeral. It, it, the, our business changed uh, when we when we got the Greens Harvester, um, and I mentioned that's a, a crop that we we really rely on. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of old school, but a hoary hoary. Um, I just keep with me. Um, mm -hmm. and that's been, been helpful for, for the, the day-to-day, -day, uh, tasks. One of our farmers, um, spray painted them all, uh, hot pink, which has been a really smart move to help us find them in the field. If they've fallen out of our, our mm -hmm. pockets. Um, nice. Now, uh, the greens harvester, I'm assuming you're doing baby greens with that spinach, arugula, lettuce, that sort of thing. That's correct. Yep. Mustard greens. Okay. Very cool. What would you say the biggest mistake that beginning farmers make is trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that in order to be able to learn from your mistakes, it's important to kind of limit what the scope is, um, so that you're able to take time to process it. And that goes for, for logging as well. Um, when I first started, um, we just logged everything. Um, and we, I found at the end of the season, there was, there was not enough, uh, you know, bandwidth, there was enough time to actually process, uh, all that information. And so it's really all for nothing. So I think that really just focusing in, um, taking your time to do, you know, one, two, three things really well, um, and give yourself the space to really learn from that before, uh, expanding. Okay. So you would even recommend if they're working on a bigger farm, really focusing on one area for a while. So they get to really learn that then go to the second area because they're not on that one area for long enough. They'll just not even learn that much. You know, it could be in terms of like spatially, um, mm -hmm. of the farm, uh, and as a rooftop farmer, we'll, we'll use every inch. So, so I guess I'm more referring to, um, whether it is your CSA program, say you're starting a new project, um, just stick with that really execute mm -hmm. a strong CSA plan, really make sure that your crop plan is locked in, that you really have time to commit and invest, uh, in your community members that you're really able to engage them. That'll save you so much time in the long run. If you're really able to build relationships there and really build a, a share program that folks in the community find really valuable, uh, then, then you can really run with it. Um, but if you're trying to take on too much, if you're trying to be a farm from the get-go that is, has a CSA program and, and multiple markets and, and wholesale, if you don't have time to both build the relationships with those uh, accounts and community members, mm -hmm. um, then you might find yourself chasing your tail. Um, and also if you are trying to expand the team uh, to support those different outlets in that way, they have to have support. Um, we've made the mistake of, you know, creating a, too many roles, um, where we, we thought that they might, uh, help really aid different programs, but with each kind of new role, 
requires, you know, supervision and support. And, uh, and that takes time and energy and is a new process. Um, and it's important. That's what you owe your team. So I think just starting small, really simplifying, there's so much to be said for streamlining and simplifying your processes. Farming Mm -hmm. is hard work trying to, uh, you know, where, where you can, um, reduce that that workload uh, is, is really important. Okay. So you said something there about streamlining. Now, do you feel sometimes that your crop mix is too big? Are you ever trying new things and then cutting other things back? Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, oh, maybe a few years ago, we grew 26 different heirloom varieties. And uh, I'm the first to admit that I am guilty of, uh, you know, opening up a a seed catalog and (laughs) and, uh, and just going crazy. Um, And and that's kind of the spice of life, right? As farmers, we just love to learn and and taste things and and, uh, grow them. Um, But uh, I think that we've also learned that that hinders our ability to really learn from that crop. You know, if you're, uh, you know, closely planting out, you know, 12 different varieties of cucumbers in a bed, then you, you quickly lose track of, of what is what and what was disease resistant and, and you lose that knowledge. So, uh, we've, we've learned to really, um, pare down our crop plans. And, and sometimes it's been fun to give certain farms, the opportunity to focus on one variety. So we've done it that way, um, which, which has been exciting, but, uh, again, just not trying to do too much, allowing yourselves the headspace to, uh, learn and take it all in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk tomatoes, favorite tomato variety. Oh, favorite tomato variety. It changes day to day. Um, but I think for me this year, I'm going to go with celebrity. I'm going back to a red. Really? Yeah. Okay. The flavor is there. It has been a workhorse. Um, it's been a great crop for us this year. Yeah. We actually had celebrity actually when we pulled it out, uh, let's see, they pulled it out Saturday at the greenhouse. There was still big fruit on it. And, uh, I was blown away because that's supposed to be a semi-determinant and it still was cranking. So, um, do you guys do any of the new girl or early girl? We do not. Nope. We have in the past, but we're not currently. It's fallen off. Now, has that been more flavor or has been more production? Uh, I'd say more production. Um, you know, we, again, are trying to really just focus on, uh, I think more determinant um, varieties mm-hmm. to really cut down on the labor um, on the front yeah. end of, and um, and sticking with what has worked really well on the roof, trying to, with so much changing, as I mentioned with, you know, outlets changing, um, identifying what we can keep as a constant so that we can learn from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anything else like to share with the audience before we go? Um, oh my goodness, you shared out some, some really, uh, great questions and I had a, a really good time, uh, going through them. I, I don't think it, so I think we covered a, a lot of great ground. Yeah, uh, we did. What about heroes or mentors along the way? Yeah, that the, my two favorite that you asked is the hardest thing I've ever done as a farmer and, uh, and who are my mentors? Um, in terms of mentors, I, I guess I had a few. Um, 
one, firstly, my dad, uh, he's certainly the hardest worker that I know. And he, uh, really taught me to take pride, uh, in my work and also how to show up for people. And, um, I think I, I was able to retain some, some more resourceful skills and, and being frugal, which have, have come in handy as a, a farmer. Um, maybe the, the less, um, obvious mentor and I, I enjoyed thinking on this was actually a, uh, a manager of mine at a restaurant. I, I spent about 15 years working in the restaurant industry and it, it certainly made me the farmer that I am today. And, and I really wasn't mm. fond of this woman at all. Um, she, uh, it, it, I worked at Balthazar. It's this very big CNBC uh, restaurant in, in Manhattan that was really kind of chronically busy and uh, she was very demanding um, and seemed like she had quite unrealistic expectations of everyone and uh, had eyes everywhere. Uh, you know, she, she really knew what was going on in every corner. And um, I was just recalling one really busy night and, um, you know, I was serving somebody who was making me nervous. They were probably, uh, you know, someone very important at that moment. And I, I took their order and I, I ran, ran over to the station to, to type in that order. And, and she just was right there and said, stop. I said, Oh, I, I will. I will. I just got to put in, in this order. And she said, Nope. What you're going to do right now is you're going to go bring these drinks to table 24. Then you're going to drop a check on table 22. Then you're going to run a check on this table here and you're going to clear this table on your way back. And then you're going to put in the order. And you know, I didn't appreciate it at the time, um, but I really quickly learned that it was important to, to be coachable. And uh -huh. what she really taught me is how to be hyper, hyper efficient. And that's really uh, served me um, as a farmer, just really being able to handle pressure, um, being able to slow down so that you can craft a plan. Um, and oftentimes right in front of you is the opportunity to get a half a dozen things done in one swoop. Um, and, uh, that, that has been a great lesson and something that I carry with me to the field. Mm -hmm. And I, I go ahead. So to unpack what you just said from her is she knew that you had basically wasted all these steps running right to put that order in when you could have done three or four things along the journey. Yeah, my, my scope was too narrow, um, mm. what seems like was most important um, and, again, was coming from a place of uh, stress. And we can all relate to that as farmers. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, spring is coming and you see the plants and they're screaming at you to get in the ground. And sometimes it's really hard to, to see straight and uh, to have the skills to craft a plan that allows you to get the plants in the ground, but also to ensure that you're taking care of them, um, and how you're just moving around the farm. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, it's certainly something that, that we teach on our farm, that if you're walking from one end to the other, there's, there's gotta be something that you can grab and, and take with you along the way, um, or, or just to have eyes on. Um, so just being really mindful, um, and, and aware. Uh -huh. Absolutely. That's good. So to follow up, what's the hardest thing you've had to do as a farmer? 
Well, I think, uh, I think the year was just 2020, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, that, that was just a a really uh, challenging year. And I know everybody has, uh, their, their own experience. Um, for me, um, it was having to leave the city. Um, my, Mm -hmm. uh, my son, uh, in March of 2020, had a spiked 106 fever for days in a row and, and was seizuring. And at the oh, time wow. in New York city, you weren't able to, uh, you know, we were told it's too dangerous to go to the hospitals and, and they were really only admitting, um, folks that couldn't breathe. It was just such a moment in time. Wow. And, uh, we knew that it wasn't safe for us to be here. Uh, we needed mm-hmm. to get him, help. And, uh, you know, I, I think of my farm team as, as my family, they, they're, uh, they are, uh, very important to me and we're, we're a tight team. Um, so having to leave, uh, my team in the start of the season with, with three managers moving into new positions was, was really challenging. Um, uh-huh. but it certainly taught me a lot. Um, I think it taught me that our, uh, communication was really strong. Um, and I was able to reflect on, on the importance of that, of really making sure you have systems in place to quickly communicate what, what is needed. Um, I think it, it taught me that the team, uh, really knows what they're doing. And I think that as any, uh, manager, that's an important lesson. And one that, that Ben has, has really taught me as well, um, to just trust and allow room for mistakes um, and learning. Um, so it was it was important to be able to step back and give space for um, managers to really kind of take it on their own. And uh, you know it, it was not um, easy to step away. I you know like a lot of people had packed my bags for two weeks and was gone for for almost four months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it, it, it took me some time, but after, uh, after reflection, also being able to model as a leader that, uh, you know, your family is the most important thing. And as farmers, I know that, uh, we're, we're just so invested in our space and, uh, all the time and blood, sweat, and tears that we spend there. Um, but it, it was a really important lesson to just remember what, what is most important. And, uh, I think, that, uh, ensuring that taking care of your family and, and, uh, prioritizing that is exactly what we all need to focus on right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for your time today on the podcast. We appreciate that. Um, this is a great interview, some great nuggets along the way and, uh, best of luck in the the rest of this season is almost over, but, um, I'm sure you guys have big things planned for 2022. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. 
So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com. 